0: Thank you for listening to this sermon from Redeemer Church. We pray that as you listen to this message, that your heart would be softened, your ears would be open, and your affections for Jesus would be stirred. We pray that through the Holy Spirit, you would look more like Jesus and know Him more as we strive to be a gospel-centered, disciple-making family together in Wichita Falls. Might be thinking, "Oh, cool, John fourteen six, real original." And you're like, "Yeah, uh, this is uh, this is one of the the easy home run texts." And so you did this for the first week of Midwestern State. No, we actually didn't do that because we have been working through the Gospel of John since this Sunday last year, and so this just happens to be the place that we're at. And so no matter where you're at uh, in your understanding of Christianity, you probably know John fourteen six. And you probably either know it as a memory verse or you probably know it as something uh, that you're just like, you know what, I have a problem with that. Jesus is the only way. Jesus is the only truth. He's the, he's the only life. How, how arrogant do you have to be to say that the only way to God is through, is through Christ? And so today, what I want to talk to us about is that idea To think that Jesus is actually being exclusive is not the case at all of what he's saying right here. What he's saying right here is Jesus is too personal. He's too personal of a God to be received any other way. Uh, He's not trying to make a dogmatic approach of just like, Christianity's the best, and so here's the way that I'm going to double down by saying, I'm the only way, I'm the only truth. He's, He's not being a punk here, all right? He's being honest. He's being actually truly honest. He's telling us the truth. He's telling us the truth. And what it teaches us is that Jesus is way too personal. He's not far from us. He's not trying to be exclusive. He's not trying to keep people at arm's distance. He's getting right up in our face. He's getting right up in your face and say, I'm here. I am the way. I am the truth. I'm the way. Uh, I, I'm the life. No one comes to the Father except through through me. Jesus is a close talker, all right? You ever been uncomfortable by one of those? You know, just like, oh, oh, hello, hello. Yep, still there, okay. We're still talking really face to face. Jesus is one of those. But he's not doing it as someone that is socially awkward. He's doing this as a loving, devoted God who wants to bring you in close, like a, like a father holding a newborn baby brings it up to his face and says I'm here I love you I cherish you this this is our God this is our God and today it's actually really hard to receive this it's really hard to receive this because today Christians are having a lot of hard time they don't have a, a, a lot of hard times because they're not having hard times because they they think that you know what I don't know if I believe this. Most Christians would say, yes, objectively, I believe this because I have to believe this. We, seemed, we tend to be motivated by negative consequences. Have you noticed this about yourself? That the, the thing that is most pressing, any procrastinators in the room? <laughs> All right, so you procrastinators, I'm preaching to you right now. Like, you, you are not. You're not motivated by the things like, you know what, school projects do. I know I got my syllabus, cool. Um, I'm going to have a 15-page paper due in three months. And you're not like, you know what, I better get started on that. No, you wait for 48 hours. You pull two all-nighters just to try to get this thing done. Why? Because all of sudden, you delayed and you delayed and you delayed, and then you realize, oh, okay, uh, parents are going to be furious with me. Uh, I, I may not graduate. The consequences right in front of me. Time to get to work. Time to get to work. And so because that's how we operate as people and because this is how we deal with things over and over again within, within our life, we try to do one thing. We get our Jesus card stamped. We, get our, we make sure that we get our heaven card stamped because it feels like, oh, any moment, any day, I don't know when the Lord's calling my number up, so I better get this thing right. But but where, have a, uh, where, where Christians have a big problem with this is this is they say, oh, I got my heaven card stamped, but I don't know how Jesus is good news today. I don't know how Jesus is actually working with me. How is the gospel good news for me in my depression? How is the gospel good news for me in my anxiety? How is the gospel good news for me as I'm going to school and as I'm going through this divorce? How, how is the gospel good for me right now? And so we we have this struggle, right? We say, yeah, I confess that Jesus is Lord because I don't want to go to hell. But then we say, I don't know how the good news of the gospel is good news for me today, right? And and what Jesus is going to uh, really unpack for us today is the answer to that question. Uh, Is Jesus good news for you right now? What is the definition of real Christianity? Is it just I want to go to heaven, or is it something much, much deeper? Because whenever we struggle with this, what happens to the church, what happens to the church is this. We wrestle with this identity of just like, oh, I just need to go to heaven and then do maybe one nice thing per day. What happens is we become slowly disillusioned to we don't understand. Like, wait, I need to read my Bible? Why? I'm... Is the Bible going to help me get to heaven faster? I don't think so. I don't want to go to heaven faster. I like this life. I don't like it. Heaven means you have to die. I don't, I don't want to read my Bible. I don't want to. Uh, you mean I need to pray? Well, that's hard for me. I don't, I don't know how to do that. It feels awkward getting on my knees and doing this. And what's, what's up with a prayer closet thing? I don't really understand what's going on. And, and what happens is it trickles down into church. Church? Why, why do we need the? You just want me to go to church? Oh, you want my money? Is that it? Okay, pastor, okay. All right, this is some type of scheme. And so, uh, uh, you, uh, really, Christianity is just about going to heaven, and then we threw in all these extra things, right? We threw in all these extra things that are just kind of like uh, there to confuse us. And whenever we have this simplistic understanding of Christianity is just about going to heaven and not hell, it, it flows downstream that we get all messed up we get all confused, and we don't understand what's going on. We're like Kevin Malone, whenever Robert California asked him that, uh, that, that silly question, he goes, well, uh, this is where we go, okay, this is what we do, this is church, this is why we do this. And you're just like, well, give a better answer, and he's like, no, I, I, there are no wrong answers, you know, that's what, he, that's what he says, and he's like, no, there actually are objective answers to why, why we operate and what we do and what Christianity ultimately is. So let's walk through this passage and discover some nuggets from, from the text. John chapter 14, verse 5, that Bryce read for us earlier. Thomas, Downey Thomas, asks a question that we covered at length last week. And he says, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. First thing to point out here is this is not like, okay, way, truth, life, how do I figure, how do I figure this out? It's really like an elliptical, and how we need to understand this, it's in elliptical form. He's saying, I am the way, why? Because I am the truth, and I am ultimately the life that you're seeking. I'm the way to God because I am the truth manifest, come from God, and the life that I live is the life that you're ultimately looking for. The life that I have lived is the life that every single person in this room desires. You say, Cody, I've never wanted to walk on water. I don't like water. All right? That's what Jesus did. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying the inner peace, the joy, the love, the self-control that Jesus experienced, every single person in this room, including me who's speaking, wants the life of Christ. We want the depth that that Jesus had. We want the communion that Jesus had with the Lord. We we want the the inner peace. We want the love. We want the joy. We want the fellowship. We want want everything that Christ embodied in our person. And so uh, this is why Jesus brings up, like, I am the truth and I am the life. And that makes me, that makes me the way. And this is not a new New thing in Jesus's ministry, you might be like, "Oh, mic drop! Okay, way truth of life, only way." You know, like that's what Jesus is doing here. No, he's just reiterating the thing that he has talked about over, over again. He says in John chapter six, "I am the bread of life; those that eat of me will never be hungry again." I'm the light of the world in John eight. I'm the door doorway to the to the pastor of God's flock. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. He's saying the same thing over again. And he's, now he's just saying, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. No one's getting there. No one's getting to God. No one's going to have a relationship with him unless it's through connection with me. Unless it's through connection with Christ. And then he expounds upon this in verse 7. Look what it says. It says, if you have known me, you would have known my father also. From now on, you do know him, and you have seen him. And so we give Thomas a break, and we turn to Philip, who he doesn't say a whole lot in the New Testament. Philip doesn't say a whole lot in the New Testament, but whenever he opens his mouth, he sticks his foot directly in his mouth. And he's just like, the only thing you said, Philip, was this nonsense? This is the only thing. Uh, and and I, you imagine Philip reading this. He's like, John. I said a lot of things, and this is the only thing you recorded that's going to last for forever? Thanks a lot, John. All right, but let's see what he says. Verse 8. He said, Lord, show us the Father. And that is enough. And what is he doing? He's just confessing. He's saying out loud that I have no idea what you're talking about. And uh, you're going to show us another miracle? Like that's that sounds cool. You walked on water earlier. Like show me another. Like show me another miracle. Oh Philip. Oh Philip. And, and Jesus said to him, "This is probably the only time in the entire Bible where Jesus. Uh, it's hard for me because I, I a lot of times in my brokenness, because I'm prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Uh, a lot of times in my brokenness, I read the scriptures and the." tone of the scriptures the way that uh, I'm struggling with my own sin a lot of times you, you know what I'm talking about so the tone is off right here it seems like Jesus is really looking at looking at these guys and are like okay i'm so stern with you right now like this is the the one time that it's like are you being really gentle here jesus but let's see let's see what he says he probably is and we're gonna get the tone wrong and so, so let's all just repent later so forgive me if i get the tone wrong and we'll compare notes after this but jesus said to him have i been with you so long and you still don't know me philip Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. You say, how can you say to me, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. But the Father who dwells within me does his works. His works are the ones that are just spewing out of me. His works are walking on water. That was his idea. I was just executing it. Uh, uh, healing all those people, that was His power. I was just, I was just the conduit. The, the Spirit, I was being carried along by the Spirit of God, by the plan of the Father my entire life, Philip. Do you not know, do you not yet get it, that I and the Father are one? They've seen so much stuff, so much stuff. They saw Him calm the storm, the, the storm that they thought was going to kill them, right? And they were advanced fishermen, They had seen storms before. They were good on the water. And Jesus calmed it just by saying, be still. And everything stopped. They saw that. All the miracles of Jesus, if just one of them would have happened in the Old Testament, they would have revolved an entire book around it. It would have been the most historically uh, extraordinary experience that the world has ever known. But Jesus did one after another, after another, after another. And Jesus is just saying right here, don't you know it's me? Don't you know I and the Father are one? Isn't it obvious at this point? Clearly it's obvious, right? And so then he talk, goes on to talk about works, and this is what's interesting. He says, believe me I, that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on the count of the works themselves. Believe that I and the Father are one, and then believe the works. Obviously I am with the Father, and I and the Father are one. This is so, so obvious. It's so obvious. And then he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do, because I go to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, I will do. this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. And whenever we look at this, we get a little confused, do we not? right? You get a little confused. You're like, oh, is this why Is this why we pray in Jesus' name I pray, amen? And is this like automatic? Is this just like some type of magic wand thing? In Jesus, oh, I didn't say in Jesus' name I pray. Let's start all over and say the whole thing and then say in Jesus' name I pray, and then maybe Jesus will do what I want him to do. Is that what's going on here? No, we're not wizards. We're Christians. We're not wizards. We're Christians. And look what it says. He really explains everything that he's saying right here in verse 15. In verse 15, he says, if you love me, You will keep my commandments. The works that he's talking about here is he's saying, listen, I'm not giving you a magical incantation. What I'm giving you is me. What I'm giving you is me. Connection with God. You get me. And if you obey me, guess what? The overflow, the overflow of your life is going to be doing the things that I do. Uh, Christianity gets a bad rap, right? Right? The only thing that we learn in school about Christianity is the Crusades. That's it. It's like there's been one thing, uh, Christianity had one point in history, and it was around the time of the turn of the millennium, and it was just the Crusades where they took out and they killed some people and they did all that stuff. Obviously, we know that Christians are bad. But listen, if you go, if you go throughout the history of, uh, of the West, all orphanages were started by Christians. Hospitals were started by Christians. Everything that, uh, that, that, that is good and beautiful, if you, you can trace it back to the miracles of Christ, and then the people of God manifested it in an in institutional way. And this is what Jesus is saying if you get me, if you focus on me, if you love me, then guess what? And guess what? The overflow of that will be millions and billions of people will be blessed by the medicine you create by the jobs and the, the, the economy and the way that you lift out people out of poverty. This is all a Christian, this is all a Christian idea. And it all flows and overflows not from understanding Christian doctrine, but knowing the God of Christians. Knowing the God of Christians. Which brings me to the big point today. The big point today is I want to ask a question. Do you know God in a relational way, or is your faith defined by second-hand Christianity? Do you know God right now? Do you say, I know the Lord. I walk with the Lord. I know what his voice sounds like. I know how to commune with him. Or, or do you have what I call second-hand faith? Second-hand faith. You want to know what second-hand faith is? Second-hand faith is Uh, memorizing or mimicking or modeling the faith of another person and so you say i know what it's like to be a christian because i'm trying to be like davis i know what it's like to be a christian because i'm trying to be like charles spurgeon or i'm trying to be like john owens or a puritan or something like that i'm trying to be like richard baxter And and what you're doing is you're saying, all my Christianity is wrapped up, listen, all my Christianity is wrapped up in understanding the Christian writings of another person. Well, that's not your relationship with God. That's their relationship with God. And I'm not saying that we can't benefit from that. We can greatly benefit from that. Uh, The the people of God have always been a family who are able to expound the truths of Scripture really, really faithfully. But if that's the only thing we're taking in, that's secondhand faith. Do Do you know the spiritual life of John MacArthur? Or do you know how the Lord of hosts communes with you as an individual and as a person? Do you you have secondhand faith or do you have real, real faith to where you're interacting and engaging with the Lord day in and day out? Because, listen, the prayers of the Bible, all the, the great prayers of the Bible, whenever you open up the Pauline epistles carried along by the Holy Spirit, whenever he prays for those churches, you know what he's praying for? He's praying, Lord, someday I pray that these people make a hospital. Someday they'll make an orphanage. Someday they'll really bless people to the, to the ends of the earth with all the things that they form and make. No, no, listen to Ephesians chapter 1 verse 16. It says this, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the, wis- the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him in the knowledge of him having uh, having the eyes of your heart enlightened by his truth uh, all the great prayers of the bible are trying to communicate this to you know god know and devote yourself to him to have a real dynamic vibrant relationship the essence of christianity is personally knowing god do you personally know god or do you know how God is engaged with another person in your life? And are you modeling your faith after them? What is it? it—secondhand faith or real faith? And do you know how to commune with God? Or do you know that some, a parent maybe or a grandparent has at one time communed with God and then you're just trying to do the checklist of what they have done in, in their life? In their life. Personally knowing God is the essence of Christianity. You say, Cody, how do I do that? How do I personally know God? Well, God is so kind to us that he models things here in the physical world in the same way that they are played out in the spiritual world, all right? Listen to me. Listen to me. Eye contact. Eye contact. How do you get to know a person? How do you get to know a real life person? Well, you go on campus, you go on campus, right, college students, and you say, hey, you ask the same questions. Hey, what's up? What's your name? Oh, cool, man. Like, I'm Cody. Yeah, totally. Uh, what's your major? What are you studying? You know, like, oh, dude, dude, that sounds really cool. That's a uh, general studies. Yeah, I don't know what I'm doing. I, I have no idea. Like, I don't, I don't get it. All right, cool, man. Like, hey, have you heard of Collective? Oh, t- dude, let's go to, cl- let- we gotta go to Collective. What, what are you doing? It's right across. I can see it from here. Let let us go. Let's drink the. Let's go drink the coffee. It's a good. Gabe's always there. Okay, he's always there. You want to know Gabe? Let's go. He's my friend Gabe. All right, let's go, uh, dude. Have you met a pilot yet? Oh, you met a pilot? Oh, cool, man. Like. Oh, you haven't? They're in the green, you know? Do you know you can take their things? You, you can just rip that thing right off their shoulder. Yeah, Chris, Chris Cochran, I just stole it. I stole his name tag the other day and it's totally cool. It's something about like taxes and taxpayer money. I don't know how it works, but like I, you can just steal their stuff, all right? Um, do I know that person after that conversation? Do I really know them? I know stuff about them. I know their major. I know they like collective coffee. I know they've met two pilots. All right, but do you really know them? No, no. What do you have to do? You have to break the vulnerability threshold. You have to start having conversations about what really makes you tick. What's real, hey, at the core of who you are, what's going on? And so you have real relationships with people that you're living with that you like enjoy living with you know like we all had bad roommate experiences but whenever you have a good roommate experience you're like that is my best friend we did all of life together you know like we we're down the hall we fought over the bathroom we punched each other you know like it was all like it was awesome we cried whenever we needed to cry we hung out on the weekends I I know everything there is to know about like what he wants to do with this hope and future I know the type of um, uh, the, the type of person that he's looking for in his future spouse I know. Everything about this person because why? We keep on continually breaking the vulnerability threshold and we open up to each other and we reveal our hearts and they reveal their hearts and we say, We are one. We are deep. We have a real relationship. And so, how do we have a relationship to God? Guess what? It's not just like surface level stuff. It can't be second-hand faith. It can't be like, well, you know, my grandpa did this and this and this, and this was the rhythms, and so I'm just going to do this and this and this and read the books that he read and do all the stuff that he did. And uh, uh, like, I'm not saying that that's a bad thing. I think that's probably a beautiful thing. But if it never progresses past the surface level, if if you never break the vulnerability threshold to where you go down on your knees and you say, God, I'm here. Speak to me right now. Uh, whenever you look at the Word of God, is it saint? Uh, what, what, what are you viewing? Are you viewing something that is just an old 2,000-year-old book that has stood the test of time? And people have changed it, sure. People have changed, that Catholic church, you probably can't even trust those, Catholic, those Catholics whenever they had the Bible and stuff. Is this your foundation? Or do you say, no, the supreme authority of the God of gods is revealed in this scripture. The supreme authority, and whenever I read it, what I'm expecting is to hear from the very words and mouth of God that all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful to me. How are, your hermeneutics, your understanding of the Scripture is so vital to having a real, vibrant relationship with God. It is so vital. And this is a, a, a brief tangent, but let me, I have to say it. I have to say it you can know about God you can know some aspects of the Bible without knowing him but you cannot know God listen to me you cannot know God without knowing the Bible I'm gonna say that again you can know about God without knowing him but you cannot know God without knowing the Bible the heart the character the person The voice of God is found in the pages of Scripture. Are you going to Him that way? Or is it surface? Is it surface level? One of the things that we're doing as a church is we're really kind of doubling down on trying to understand how to memorize and write Scripture on our heart. But listen, this is the way that this will turn dead really quickly. We download the app, we memorize the Scripture, we we beat the streak, we do all the things, and we're not using this to commune with God. We're doing this as a position of, A power, if you will, power to feel like I'm okay and I'm secure because I memorized another verse. Listen, all of Scripture is God-breathed. It's Him speaking to us. It's Him communicating to us. And you cannot have a real vibrant relationship with God without a vibrant uh, devotion to the Word of God. There is no such thing. There is no such thing. So, let me read this to us. It comes from our call to worship, and it is so powerful because this is another one of those verses that if we don't get, if we just gloss over, if we, don't, if we just gloss over, we won't understand the power of personal relationship with God. Philippians 3, 8, indeed, I count everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing, of knowing of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Do you know Him, or do you know about Him? Has your culture brought you up around Jesus, or do you know who Jesus is? Because right here, Paul is saying about Christ, He is the supreme thing. He's the thing that everything else doesn't matter compared to me knowing Him, treasuring Him. He is the way. Do you know Him as the way, church? Do you know him as the way because he's the only way and I know this is the thing that causes us to, to stumble I know this is the thing that makes us feel uh, the enemy likes to lie to us to say that you're bigoted um, and you are self-centered if you say that Jesus your way that you espouse is the only way but listen all religions are exactly the same except for Christianity they're all the same all religions say this you can work to get to God you can obey well enough to get to God. You can uh, do these things to find inner peace and then you can get to God. What you need is this ritual, these drugs, this, this ceremony, that whatever, and you can get or find your way and work your way to God. If you strive hard enough, you got this. And Christianity turns that totally on, on its head. And Jesus says, I'm the way. You can't, you can't get there any other way. And part of the way of Jesus is saying, you can't come to me. I have to come to you. I have to leave everything to come to you. Have you received Jesus as coming to you? Have you responded with your heart and faith and said, Jesus, I see that you're a close talker. I see that you're right up in my grill. I see you now. You are the only way. Not because you're distant, but because you're near. In your personal. Jesus is too personal for there to be multiple ways to God. He's he's just too personal. All other religions will produce a counterfeit of what we're desiring in our life with Christ. It will give us a false peace. It will give us a false joy. It will give us a false sense of love and devotion and connectedness with community and with God. It's all counterfeits. The real substance is found in Christ. Why? Because he's the maker of everything. He's the maker of everything, and so obviously our hearts are made, our hearts are made for him. And this reminds me of uh, a quote from C.S. Lewis. Uh, I'm kind of going out of order here, but it's so fitting. It says, uh, a Christian says, this is in your bulletin, by the way, a Christian says, and I'm going to change some language, all right? We've got like a little two-year-old right here, so I don't know who that is, um, Hey, buddy, how you doing? <laughs> um, the Christian says creatures are not born are not born with desires unless sat, satisfaction for for those desires exists. A baby feels hunger. Well, there is such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim. Well, there's such a thing as water. All right. Men feel passion. Well, there's such a thing as conjugal relationships. All right. If, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. This deep longing that you have in your heart this deep desire, this deep devotion to be connected with God, to have purpose and meaning, to be humble and bold, to be at peace, but yet self-controlled, to be patient and good, for justice to, be, to ring throughout the world, even though we're not in that world. What does that mean? C.S. Lewis is, said, is saying that we're made for another place. We're made for a totally other place. We're made for Him. We're made to know God and to obey God. And what's interesting about all of this is we have to understand that you are made alive, alive with with Christ. Through faith in the gospel, you're made not just right with God to where you're going to heaven, but you're made truly alive. Let me explain this biblically, all right? In the garden, Adam and Eve, before the first sin, was Adam alive, yes or no? Are you all with me? Adam and Eve, very first, we can go back and read it. All right. Um, was he alive, yes or no, Whenever he, he was crea- after he was created? Yes, he was, he was alive. All right? Then the Bible says, if you do this thing, you will surely die. Whenever, here's a trick question, whenever uh, the fall came, was he alive? Yes or no? Uh, like yes or no? You're both right. All right. <laughs> gotcha. Trick question. All right. He was physically alive, but something within him died. And and God promised, you will die. You will die the death. You will be so dead. You will be so absolutely dead. It's like you're not even alive. You know what that's trying to communicate to you and I? Is trying to communicate that the most important essence of who we are is our relationship to God. The most important aspect of who we are. All of our longings, all of our desires are only met in Him. And in the fall, what happened was that was severed. And so you and I were truly dead. Ephesians 2 says very clearly, as for you, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You were really, really dead. Now, whenever you believe the gospel... Before you believe the gospel, are you alive or dead? We're in the exact same state of, of Adam post-fall. So we're dead. And then he says, but you were made alive with Christ. You were made really alive. That connection that you were made for actually sinks into place, and you and, you and God are now in in right relationship between one another. And what's amazing about this is we still believe the lies of the devil that we're dead. That we're dead. We believe that we can't have life, which is truly life. We can't do it. Do you want to know why? You want to know why? Because we go back into this pre-dead state, and we manifest all the lies, all the lies that we were brought up in in our culture, and so we refuse to take on the new commandments of the Lord, and what are the commandments of the Lord? If you love me, you will do what I command you. Now I try to do that, I try to say that verse to my friends all the time, and nothing nothing happens. If you love me, you will do what I command you right now. It doesn't, it doesn't work. I'm a, I'm a crazy narcissist if I if I do that right there, all right? But whenever God, the maker of heaven and earth, the lover of your soul, says it, it's the sweetest thing. Because what it's doing is it's teaching you the truth. It's teaching you that you're truly alive and it's showing you the avenue of which you can be alive. The way that you're alive is found in obedience to Christ. The evidence that you have love and devotion to Christ is is you following what he says. You following what he says. You say, Cody, oh oh, I get it. You're one of those simpletons that Whenever the Bible says something, you're just like, just read the Bible and pray. <laughs> just, read, just read the Bible and pray. That's the point of this sermon? Well, let me go back a little bit and show you the fallacy in your argument. If I said I was having struggle, struggles with my, in relationship with my spouse, and someone asked me, and, or, or I went to a counselor or to a pastor and said, hey, I'm struggling, I'm struggling in my relationship with my spouse. And he, he began to ask a series of questions. Like, all right, what's your last interactions that you've had with your spouse? It's like, well, she actually wrote me a long letter that showed her absolute devotion and commitment to me. She, uh, in this letter, she told me how much she loved me and she was devoted to me. And she mapped out a plan of restoration between the two of us. And um, he was like, would you read it? He was like, no. Someone else read it and told me about it. Kind of gave me the cliff notes. He was like, so you didn't read the note? I'm like, no, I didn't read it. He was like, okay, when's the last time you talked to him? When's the last time you talked to your spouse? I was like, oh, it's been, <laughs> been a minute. i like, I think I said I do. That was the last thing I said to him or I said to, to them. I said I do, and then we just kind of pieced out and didn't really hang out anymore. He was like, well, do you, how much quality time do you spend together? He was like, well, not really quality time. Sometimes I go and hang out with her friends, but she's not... Um, I, I kind of ignore her if she's there. And he's like, well, okay. Action steps. Action steps. Number one, read the letter that she wrote to you, dude. It sounds like she loves you and wants to build a plan of restoration between the two of you. And then here's another thing. Why don't you go and talk to her? Actually talk to her. And that will probably help your relationship. And whenever you don't just go to her friend's house and ignore her, go to her, her friend's house and look at her and sweep her up, and then go home with her and be husband and wife again. Uh, love, love, her. Devote yourself to her. Say, uh, do obvious things. Read the letter. Make the uh, believe the plan of restoration. Talk to her and, and commune with her. And then that will. Pro- if you do that, I promise you things in your relationship with your spouse are going to get a little bit better. Remember, the Lord establishes here on earth the same way that we can understand what spiritual connection with Him is. Christ calls you His bride. If we're hurting in here, if you're struggling in here, if you're trying to figure out why the gospel is good news for you today. It's because God, the unchanging God, has said the essence of Christianity is not philosophy, not for you to remember a couple of core doctrines. The essence of Christianity is you get to know him. And the remedy for that is go and get to know him. Go, go to a place. Listen, whenever you're hungry, what happens to your tummy, all right? Again, little kid, what happens whenever your tummy, tummy rumbles? What do you tell daddy? Hungry that you're hungry? Like, what are you doing, dad? <laughs> He's so confused. Um, our, our stomach growls. Oh, what's up with that? Why does, it, why does he do that? That's God in his kindness giving us an alarm clock. Giving us an alarm clock to say, hey, take care of yourself. Eat some food. Your arm cramped up while you're up here. Well, drink some water. Take care of yourself. Like, he gives us external things so that we know how to take care of ourselves. Do you know that the Bible says, pray in your closet? You know what that's saying to all of us right here? saying whenever you're getting ready to go to work, when you're getting up in the morning and you're taking off your PJs in your closet, what are you supposed to do in that room? Pray! <laughs> Pray, start off your day. The Lord is doing obvious things in this world. And he's saying, commune with me. I'm setting up really simple structures for you to know me, to love me, to walk with me. The church is not a money grab. The church is not, uh, uh, the preachers are not trying to swoon you or, or, or to confuse you. I don't care if you ever give a dime here. I want you to know Christ, to know him, to love him, to devote yourself to him. He is doing everything to walk closely to you, church, to walk very close to you, to get up in your face and say, you can know the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the God of gods. What do you desire? Do you desire him? Or do you desire a God box checked? Or you desire good friends that met you? What do you desire? Jesus is the only way. He's the only truth. He's the only life. Everything about him says, mine, mine. You are mine. This world is mine. The things that you're feeling in this world, the emptiness is because it's only, you can only find its completion in him. Have you believed this? Church, have you believed this? Do you know how to walk with him? Do you know how to enjoy him? Do you know how to be a family member of those that are struggling right now and saying, I've lost my way, I've wandered away, I need the household of God, the family of God to point me not to therapy, not to psychology, but to the Lord of lords and the God of gods, the word of God. I'm not saying any of those things are evil. I think they can be helpful, but rooted outside of Scripture, they're a false hope false hope. Your hope, my hope, our hope is Jesus being the only way, the only truth, the only life. We can't get peace or anything else that is good and beautiful in this life apart from personal knowing. Let's pray about that.